0: Ah, uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jack Farmer, and he's Andy Rossi, this is the Evolution of Movie show, and Andy, before we get into the guest, how are you doing today? Aw, that's so sweet of you, I'm doing well, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay, I'm actually doing pretty, pretty good here, because we have a special guest here that is a perfect fit for the movie we are about to review. He's a good pal of mine, but also... He's actually got some uh, some insights into the world of these types of movies. Let's let's quit, wait, let's bring him on right now. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing from comicbook.com, Liam Crowley. Liam, thanks for coming on to chat about the movie.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Jack. This has been a long time coming. I remember you reached out a couple months ago. You guys plan very in-depth with your movies that you cover, and I love that. And Spider-Man 2, it's an all-time classic, and uh, I'm stoked to dive into it with you guys.
0: Yeah, we get, I just get ahead of myself. I'm like, oh, you know who would be a perfect guest? Liam, let me ask him. Oh, yeah, we're not recording that for like four months, but whatever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can't uh, do it next week. That's fine. We're not recording for five months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I asked you before you were with comicbook.com, and I was like, oh, no, will, will he be allowed to be on the show anymore? I don't know what the rules are with all that, but they'll never find out. No one watches this show. Hey. Uh, but I'm on.
1: I'll be watching on replay.
0: That, well thank, thank you. you that'll triple our numbers if three people watch it we have you're at comicbook.com cool that, that's like i think a dream job for a lot of people to be able to work there and talk about comic books especially with how big comic book movies are getting uh what what do you do over there what's going on with that and can you can you tell us who the next Wolverine is going to be
1: <laughs> so I, I don't know who the next Wolverine is going to be. I think it's going to be Taron Egerton just because of all the rumors Ooh. and the way he the way he answers questions in interviews when it gets brought up. I'm like, he knows something more than he's letting on. So I think Taron Egerton is probably the likely option. I want Carl Urban. I know he's already in the MCU as Scourge the Executioner. But after watching the boys, Billy Butcher is Logan, <laughs> like straight up. Just mm-hmm. shave the beard and some mutton chops and you got it right there. Um, But yeah, with comicbook.com, I've kind of just combined what I was doing before. Uh, For anyone that followed my content before, I was with The Direct and Wrestling Inc. Covering pro wrestling and mostly Marvel movies. At Comic Book, it's all under one banner. So I do still Marvel, wrestling, and a whole bunch of different avenues of film, TV, pop culture. Um, So it's fun to get to have that bit of variety uh, in my life when it comes to daily responsibilities. And then as for what I do, uh, it's a lot of article writing mainly. Uh, on top of that, I create TikToks for them. I do some interviews. I got to chat with Lawrence Kasdan yesterday, the writer of Star oh, Wars, nice. which was epic. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, it, it's just been a lot of fun.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm glad you were able to make time to be on the show with us today. Now, the show, for anyone who's new, who's listening to it or watching it for the first time, it's the Evolution of Movies. And basically what we do is we watch a movie and then we just chat about it book club style. But we call it the Evolution of Movies because we always watch a movie that came out one year after the last movie we watched. So we started in 1980, went to 1981, 1982. Now we're all the way up to 2004, a time when movie theaters were filled with hits like The Aviator, Crash, and of course, Without a Paddle. But we aren't (laughs) watching any of those. We're talking about Spider-Man 2, a movie IMDb describes as Peter Parker is beset with troubles in his failing personal life as he battles a brilliant scientist named Dr. Otto Octavius. Now, Liam, I know the answer to this, but I ask all of our guests when we start the show, have you seen this movie before and what were your thoughts going into it this time around?
1: Well, I've seen it a couple of times. I didn't get to see this one in theaters. My first movie, uh, my first comic book movie I ever saw in theaters actually was the sequel to this, Spider-Man 3. And a lot of people, you know, pan that movie in hindsight. And I understand the critical woes about it. But it's got a nostalgic root to me. And mm-hmm. that's a lot of the reason why I love Spider-Man 2 as well. Because I caught it on DVD in the lead up to Spider-Man 3 when that came out in 2007. And critically, it's it's a much better film, uh, you know, from Act 1 to Act 3 compared to uh, its predecessor, Spider-Man 1, as well as the sequel, Spider-Man 3. Um, I will say I have actually soured on it a little bit as we get into a modern age of comic book movies i think some of the visual effects don't hold up as well i think some of the character tropes get feel very tropey you know what i mean like back Mm -hmm. then it was like oh this is just how comic book movies are nowadays it's looked at as like we're rolling our eyes at some of the lines of dialogue and the character decisions and beyond that too uh we've been blessed with andrew garfield and tom holland since then two guys who are incredible as spider-man when you compare them to uh toby mcguire in 2004 Tobey Maguire was great at the time, but I also think he's held to a different standard nowadays when you have your Hollins and Garfields and everything. So still a very enjoyable movie, but it has fallen down my rankings every time I rewatch.
0: You know, it's a fair assessment because Mm -hmm. I like this movie. I love Tobey Maguire, but you can definitely see that comic book movies are a lot there, it, it's a you got to be a lot better nowadays to be a good comic book movie than you used to in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll be honest, I i started to dip on this movie, but I don't want to get too far into other movies. But No Way Home made me like all the Spider Man movies again a lot more, just the way they tied everything together. So I was mm-hmm. a big fan of it. Um, but this one now, when we start the show, Liam, we always like to do a little game here. And what we do is we have Andy here, he's going to try to guess the Rotten Tomato score. And then you're going to try to guess whether or not the actual score is higher or lower than what Andy guesses. Okay.
2: All right. All right. Okay. So it was up against without a paddle. So, I mean, really hard competition in 2004. Was that the one with uh, Matthew Lillard and like Seth Green? Is that yeah. without a paddle? the classic
0: right up there? I think you think of Aviator without a paddle crash. They're all kind of in the same. Yeah,
2: they're all like in the same it, 2004 is just all brilliant movies. Um Okay, so Spider-Man, the 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 one that came out before this one, I think was critically acclaimed as well. And I remember this one, hearing about it, they're like, "Part two is even better or just as good." So, probably scored pretty well. Um, so I'm gonna go. Let's see here. I'm gonna go 89. 89 that is a very high pick
0: liam now this one was a critically acclaimed movie it was very well loved to give you an idea of what some of the rankings have been uh in the previous years mystic river came in at 88 and scorpion king came in at 46 so that'll give you kind of an idea of where we're at here 43 points
2: higher than it should have (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh so do you think that uh, what was your pick again andy was it 86 89 89 do you think it was higher or lower than 89 oh uh part of me thinks that it's in the
1: 90s just because of where people place this movie on like all-time comic book movie rankings but i'm gonna go low. i'm gonna go low i'm gonna say it's around 87 so lower than, than Ooh, like close that
0: very close the actual rotten Tomatoes score is 93%. Oh, it, it got into the nineties. And I love this movie. Wow. With all due respect though. I don't know if it's a ninety three. Yeah. <laughs> I think
2: Indiana Jones was like a ninety-three.
0: Yeah, this is up in Indiana Jones. Yeah uh so uh i i was uh, very on board with all the spider-man movies when they came out i loved them uh and again like i said after seeing no way home i was doubly into them i feel like they all aged better after no way home uh mm-hmm. so i was very eager to swing back into this one but liam you you hit some points that i kind of agree with the the special effects didn't quite hold up even as well as spider-man one did for some reason it felt like they jumped out a lot more in this one uh, than spider-man one but We'll get into Mm -hmm. it. We'll chat about it Uh, before we break it all down. Thanks to everyone who's watching, liking, commenting, subscribing, all that good stuff. Thank you for being here. Uh, Share it with your friends. Leave a five star review. Why don't you? Yeah. Uh, You guys ready to talk about this movie?
2: Let's. I like what you said before. You said you let's swing into it. You said something about (laughs) swinging in. I caught it.
0: I'm. I caught it. (laughs) I'm very clever. (laughs)
2: Let's web sling into it
0: (laughs) So We get a credit scene with the iconic Spider-Man music and artwork Catching us up on what went down in Spider-Man 1 Peter Parker tells us that he's made the decision To keep his hero life separate from his regular life To keep his loved ones safe Which is good because his personal life is a wreck And he has a reputation for being Undependable This doesn't stop him from using his powers to deliver some pizza Which due to saving some kids Still ends up being late That's not the end of the bad news. Even as he sells out to the bugle, he's behind on his advances and he misses his classes with Dr. Connors. Then he forgets his own birthday. The night ends as Peter fights about taking money from his financially struggling aunt and he promises MJ he'll go to her play as she says she may have found a new fella in her life. Uh, Liam, I always like to start with this question. Tell us about the characters of this movie and the world that they inhabit.
1: Well, Peter Parker, as you said it, he, his life is kind of spiraling right now because he's trying to juggle the two aspects of who he is, that being Peter Parker, the student, the family man, the boyfriend, as well as trying to be Spider-Man, the crime-fighting hero, while still maintaining a secret identity. I, I know in the modern age of the MCU, a lot of heroes are publicly known who they are to, to other people. We even see that explored with the majority of No Way Home that makes your life a little bit easier it makes your life a little bit more dangerous but it does allow you to you know juggle less aspects and peter parker is showing it full through in the opening scenes of this movie the play scene breaks my heart every single time because you know he wants to be there but this dude just has terrible time management skills and <laughs> you know trying to make ends meet put himself through college while also saving the city every now and then and you really feel for peter parker that that's something i think that tobey maguire does a really good job of is not letting his emotions show out too much. And it almost makes it feel more hurtful as an audience member. Cause you're like, damn, this dude is just accepting that this is how life is. Like he's not upset by it. He's not being beaten down. Anytime he stumbles along the way, he's like, Oh, well, it's the life I chose. And it's like, damn, man. Sometimes we want you to just take a victory.
0: Yeah, this is he's he's quietly tough. I mean, Wolverine is the guy that he gets beat up, and you're like, Of course he's tough. But Peter Parker, it definitely has a emotional toughness of that. He just takes beating after beating emotionally and in life, but continues to press on. Uh, Andy, this is, I haven't fact checked this at all. And Liam, maybe you can correct me on this, but this feels like the first major superhero movie that really shows the difficulties of balancing being a hero and being a normal person. Whereas other movie like blade wasn't like oh man i have to get to work tomorrow or anything <laughs> it's tough like that killing
2: vampires <laughs> first of all i like the credit scene how they it like caught you up on what happened in the first one because for me there's so many spider-man movies i'm trying to figure out wait what happened in the last one but i know that he's spider-man and that's what got me really frustrated in the beginning i'm like you're freaking spider-man what are you doing delivering pizzas i just thought it was this like an interesting start to it's just like since the first movie what has happened oh he's delivering pizzas i don't know i was just kind of like man you're spider-man you, you got you got so much more that you could be doing right now and um just him doing that i thought was a little beneath him but uh like liam said i did feel f- uh, feel for him because yeah he's he's in love with mj and she's in love with him yet and she's like totally hitting on him in that scene and then says i'm seeing someone and i'm like what what was that i'm like you're you're like giving him all this false hope like i thought they were gonna like start kissing there and then she's like oh i'm seeing someone and then he's like what so i'm just like dude spider-man yet he's delivering pizzas can't get kirsten dunst um yeah you just really feel for him
0: liam if if you had seen our review of spider-man one last year you would know (laughs) that i am not a fan of mj i think she's just a toxic (laughs) friend to peter parker throughout all these movies (laughs) she's low down and and andy hit the nail on the head again she's she's flirting with him but then she's like oh i'm taken sorry uh but liam i want to talk about to you about how in this opening scene especially with the birthday party you sort of see how MJ's thriving. She's got a big play. She's in these ads. Harry is taking over his dad's business. He's doing great. Uh, but Peter Parker and Aunt May, they're struggling. And to Andy's point with the delivery service, it even shows that in his personal life, it is just failing in every way. But all of his friends seem to be doing great.
1: Yeah, the uh, Nobel Prize, Otto. I know we're going to get to that eventually. But Harry yeah. Osborn, he's, he's super charismatic. You can tell that he's loving life. Uh, And same thing with uh, with MJ, too, even though, you know, her plays don't always go out to perfection. uh, She's in a really good spot with uh, who she's with, her career and everything. So, yeah, I think kicking off with that birthday scene, especially with him being taken by surprise with the whole nature of it, of like, oh, man, it's my birthday and everything. And (laughs) I do have a support system like reminding himself that, you know, he does have people around him that loves him. Uh, I think it's a really uh, clever scene to kick off with and props to Sam Raimi and uh, the writing team for having something like that early on in the film, because yeah, like I said before, when it comes to him trying to deliver that pizza, get it in on time, make it to the play. We're just beating you over the head with this guy is just like, he's in <laughs> such an unfortunate situation. Um, and you know, well, obviously people know how this movie ends, but it almost makes the resolution when we get there that much more satisfying.
2: Yep. I got to I got a shout out one part. And it's totally, you mentioned Sam Raimi. I love Sam Raimi and I feel like it's his comedy in that scene where Peter Parker comes in with the pizzas and he's in like a storage closet, and it goes on for like just a little bit too long that I was literally laughing out loud. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but everything, it was like a Three Stooges kind of uh, scene. He's like dropping mops and brooms yeah. and stuff. And then she's like, You're late.
0: Yeah, you know, where he keeps trying to like put the brooms back in. every time he puts one <laughs> in, the other one falls.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh and by the way, the the receptionist is um uh uh Deschanel, right? The, yeah, the, what's
2: Emily Deschanel.
0: Yeah, they uh there's a ton of people in this movie. They're like, hey, it's that person.
2: Yeah, Elizabeth Banks is in there. Uh
0: yeah, even yeah. People in the background,
2: you're like Eddie oh. Brant, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's they they're all they even like on the train. Uh there was a guy from uh um uh in living color i think uh on there as well but there's a lot of people
2: here are just like oh yeah that guy but as we continue yeah the guy movies, from the Chappelle show i think yelled out like spider spider-man took his pizza yeah he's another <laughs> one that you're like oh hey that guy's in that
0: movie uh peter parker he's a month late on rent again and he meets with dr octavius and Otto says that intelligence is a gift that you use for mankind They talk about science that I'm sure is all completely accurate regarding a (laughs) fusion something or other and uh, continue to hit it off and chat about life and science. Later, Peter is on his way to MJ's performance when crime is afoot. So he springs into action as Spider-Man and saves the day, but it causes him to be late. And Bruce Campbell stops him from coming in to see the show. Peter waits outside for MJ and MJ uh, kisses a fella. This gets into his head, and suddenly he can't shoot whips anymore. The next day at a payphone, Peter tries to apologize to MJ uh, when he runs out of time, and then he tries to tell her that he's Spider-Man. So Peter goes to watch Doc Ock turn into the bad guy. And I mean, come on, would you look at those arms? He's clearly the bad guy. Uh, Octavius puts the power of the sun into his hands, and all the people watching with absolutely no protection at all <laughs> run away. But Peter doesn't run. He swings into action. As Spider-Man. Anyways, he fails, and uh, Octavius's wife dies in dramatic fashion, and the electricity turns Octavius evil. Well, the arms are evil. They control him, so he's evil. Uh, and he kills the doctors, and we get one of those epic no moments before he finds a new secret lair. So lots of stuff happening here. This is setting the stage of the entire kind of who the villain is and all that good stuff. Liam, I want to talk to you. This is the introduction of one of the most iconic villains in Spider-Man's gallery here, Doc Ock.
1: Yeah, and what a great aesthetic-looking Spider-Man villain as well because he's a little cartoony on the the page and all that with the green and the yellow suit and the tentacle arms. I think he also wears, like, goggles too. And the way Mm -hmm. that they kind of upgraded him for the movie, switching up the goggles for some sunglasses, giving him the trench coat, but still having the arms be mechanical and having them be more technologically advanced and have them fit into this world. I thought it was awesome and mesmerizing and a big shout out to, to Alfred Molina, uh, the actor behind Otto Octavius, obviously because he's someone who comes in and there's supposed to be this kind of implied relationship with him and Peter Parker. And that's so difficult to do in a sequel uh, because we're coming off of a movie where we're already familiar with so many new characters, so many characters we already know. And meeting a new character can sometimes be a tall order but he just kind of comes in so naturally and there's clear chemistry between himself and Toby Maguire. And uh, that conversation they have at the beginning where it's like, you know, uh, you're lazy, you know, you're a brilliant kid, but you're not giving it your all. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, you know, I'm trying to do better. Great callback and no way home eventually. But that whole trying to do better line hits so hard because we see what his nine to five looks like mm-hmm. uh, earlier in the previous scenes. So, Uh, I think the introduction of Otto Octavius, the scientist, was great. The transformation was haunting and incredible in the way it was shot. Uh, A lot of that being practical, too, if you see any behind-the-scenes clips. like They built those mechanical arms, and they put them to work. The one thing I really get annoyed by, especially with modern comic book movies, is the evil weapon is possessing the pure-hearted person. (laughs) We saw it right recently in uh, Thor Love and Thunder with the Necro Sword being the source of why gore is evil mm. we saw it in no way home with uh the goblin disease tripping out norman osborn back <laughs> the goblin forth. disease <laughs> and freaking uh what was the most recent one? Oh, scarlet witch with the with the with the book the uh the mm-hmm. Darkhold and everything like it's becoming a trope that's bothering me again more and more because of modern comic book movies and then in <laughs> hindsight i look back and I see something like Spider-Man Two, which, of course, two thousand four. It's going to be a little campier, but it almost bothers me more in that movie because of the surroundings of it. And yeah, I'm I'm over the MacGuffins controlling uh, our our <laughs> villains. Like give us give us villains with true motivations, not just because. Their evil gadgets tell
2: them to do things. I wrote, uh, I wrote tentacles gone wild.
0: <laughs> I I love that you say it because that is a good point. It's almost like I wonder if the writers just don't want to say this person is just a terrible person for whatever reason. You, there has to be some. It's not their fault. It's a dark force of some kind because I don't know. It's it's a good isn't point. Isn't the though.
2: same thing that happened in the first one too with uh, um, Green Goblin? He was yeah. like a. Yeah, goblin you disease. Know, yeah, he just got goblined. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and to give it one more example, too, the previous Marvel movie because we're just on a roll right now with with evil weapons controlling the villains, uh, the Ten Rings and Shang Chi. Like the Mandarin was no stand up guy beforehand, but the Ten Rings were corrupting his mind and making him think that he could still get his wife back and everything. It's it's a trope that's being exhausted in, in the modern age of cinema.
0: Yeah, is that one of the reasons Thanos evil. was so great? Is because he's like, no, nah, this is who I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm evil. I'm evil. Yeah, like, I feel that evil that I want to just take out half the universe, deal with it.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, and he's just tried to be more evil with his weapons. I'm already now, evil, I'm just gonna get more evil,
0: Andy. I would, I gotta ask you this question. This is something I've been wanting to ask you since I watched this movie. You yeah. are a writer, you write movies, and you write wrote a lot of uh short films and things like that. Uh, there was a line here, or there was a moment where Dr. Octavius says that writing is more advanced and difficult and complex than science is. And I'm asking you, do you think this line was in here because the dialogue was written by writers and not scientists?
2: <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Science is way harder. <laughs> I, I didn't just, even catch that. That's pretty
0: funny. <laughs> I just imagine the writers be like, writing is the most difficult and impressive thing. You can do. <laughs> Wink.
2: Uh, I, it, well, I got to talk about my man Bruce Campbell, though. I just yes. love Sam Raimi throws him in there. The last, his last cameo he had in uh, was it No Way Home, where he's the hot dog. Uh, was that hot dog one? No, oh, that was yeah. a, Multiverse multi- of madness, yeah. Uh, madness. Yeah. Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> that's right. It was yeah.
0: Multitudes of madness. <laughs> the multiverse of
2: madness. I just love how he just like always, you know, because I think in the the last Spider Man, he wasn't he like the ring announcer or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He was so the he, ring announcer for the wrestling match.
2: I just love him getting uh, snuck into these movies. And but again, I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> he's pointing to the signs how you can't get in. But I'm like, Toby, you're Spider-Man. <laughs> like Fuck this guy up and go in. Like, I don't know why he's just like, oh, OK, all
0: right. I would 100 percent be a villain, I think, if I had superpowers because I'm with you. And I'd be a little bit like, bro. I'm going to throw you across the room. Get out of my way. I'm going to go
2: inside. You can't get in. (laughs) Just like (laughs) web his mouth. (laughs) Can't hear you.
0: At the very least, I'd be more of an Iron Man type hero where everyone would
2: definitely know I have superpowers. (laughs) Just telling everybody. (laughs) Um, I had one thing that I wanted to ask you guys. So he goes to the payphone. Peter does to call MJ. This was 2004. Did we not have cell phones then?
1: I don't I know if Peter can. Parker can afford a phone bill uh, with, <laughs> exactly. uh, going on for him.
0: That was, I was, by the way, subtle, small characters. Uh, this movie is great with like side characters. I think that maybe don't necessarily play a big part, but like Bruce Campbell just have a lot of personality. The landlords were fantastic oh, yeah. as just yeah. being these over the top characters that were cracking me up the whole movie where he's like, uh, what he, he said something like, I got a good line I, too. Yeah. Eyes, eyes like, like a, a rodent or something like a rodent <laughs> <laughs> he stares at him i was like dude this guy's killing me he's great
2: and uh, his his daughter was clearly into peter parker and he's just you know he's not catching on it's like MJ's moved on man this girl's like trying to make you she's trying to cook or what whatever she was yeah. doing in the background so oh, like, we'll
0: talk about that we'll get into that because that's another uh another scene that happens that i want to talk about but i want to move on as we get to a. Uh, Otto's starting to realize that the arms are taking over his brain, but he also has to finish his work. To pay for it, he's going to steal the money he needs from the bank that Peter is at refinancing his mom's loan. We get a bank scene fight, and Otto takes Aunt May, and they fight on the side of a building, but it's Aunt May who gets the uh, knockout blow and distracts Otto to allow Spider-Man to make the save. The Bugle is excited about this new villain. But for now, they need Peter to go to the ball. While there, Harry Osborn is kind of a jerk about Spider-Man and slaps Peter when MJ shows up with Captain Jameson and really lets Peter have it before Peter (laughs) finds out she's going to marry the captain. On the way home, Spider-Man's powers continue to deteriorate. Liam, the, the big story here, I guess, with the movie is that it's not just that his life is falling apart on one end and he's struggling with both but now he his body is saying you can't do both and he's not able to even use his powers as spider-man and that's the big confrontation he's having right now or conflict he's having right now
1: yeah and it's a genius way of giving him this kind of character evolution because as most trilogies go the second movie tends to be the darkest and even though this movie is still very fun and still very kid-centric there are very dark elements of like struggling to remember who you are and stuff like that. And when he eventually kind of gives up the suit because he's so dejected at balancing all the different aspects, it really does hit because, you know, life has just dealt him a hard hand. Uh, Life has dealt him a lot of big expectations and he just can't fulfill it anymore. So uh, I do love it straight from the page uh, onto the screen when he has the suit in the trash bin and he's walking away. It's an incredible frame in this movie. Um, and then beyond that too, you mentioned the the bank scene, so comic booky. So like, of course, this this like 70 something year old Aunt May, no matter what happens to her in this fight, she is going to have a heart attack from the stress and most yes. likely die in a real life scenario. <laughs> Yet here we are in this movie, and she's dangling off of a skyscraper <laughs> by the cane. And I'm like, God bless this woman for just hanging in there, because at the end of the day, that's some core strength that most people don't have. <laughs> so good, good for her there, but it's it's a great comic booky scene, um, and it's a great like tone shift immediately when I, I believe they're sitting in a cafe. Or something, or maybe no, it's the bank vault specifically. The cafe with MJ comes later, but when there's the big explosion and Doc Ock arrives, broad daylight too. Like this guy is someone who is able to communicate this menacing nature, even when you know it's not dark out. Like I love that about Doc Ock. And uh, you mentioned the bugle stuff; they love him because he's a new villain, and they can they can put some pizzazz behind him. And what a great conversation in hindsight when uh, Jameson's talking with one of his editors. And he's like, what about Doctor Strange? And he's like, I like it, but it's taken. And it's like, mm-hmm. here we are, 18 years later, Sam Raimi directs a Doctor Strange movie. Oh. It's, all, it's all amazing. And uh, that line, it aged like fine wine.
0: That is something I didn't... I, I did make the note about the Doctor Strange name drop, but I didn't even put two and two together. Yeah, the, that's great. director. But I wanted to talk to you. And Liam, I'm going to double up and follow up with you on this because this whole movie feels like it was just on the cusp of like a mcu but it just didn't have the ability to be an mcu talking about things like doctor strange and you could almost feel it was trying to be something bigger than it than just the individual movie but due to all the different reasons it couldn't be is that just me kind of projecting or did it feel like this like i said i don't know how to explain it but it was like it was almost there but there just wasn't anything for it to grab onto. if that makes sense
1: they, they were definitely planting seeds for a larger world around, even if those seeds could never sprout. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is Dr. Kirk Connors uh, mm-hmm. on the, on the university campus and everything who fans know he becomes the lizard and he's actually the main antagonist of Andrew Garfield's first amazing Spider-Man movie. But yeah, little name drops like that, like those are intentional and I don't know if they're, they're intentional, but I don't know if the purpose is a wink at the audience or if the purpose is, hey, maybe maybe we could get something out of that one day. Because remember, 2004, we're a year before, or a year or two years before X-Men The Last Stand. Comic book movies as a whole are coming out like once a year, maybe, across Marvel and DC. So mm-hmm. having these little name drops here and there and having this idea of maybe playing with a bigger world. Uh, it was very safe to do because you weren't stepping on the toes of any other studio. Uh, I'm wearing this Morbius shirt, ironically, right now. <laughs> um, Morbius, <laughs> a movie that I unfortunately had to see earlier this year, made a lot of winks and nods to possibly there being a, a bigger world around it. Uh, I mm-hmm. remember there's one line at the beginning in a flashback scene where they mentioned to the young Morbius, they're like, you know, there's there's a school uh, for gifted young people like you. I'm like, no. you can't tease the X-Men. You don't own the rights to those characters. Right. If you did that in 2004, fans would love it because it would be like, oh, maybe there's a greater world out there. Nowadays, it's very territorial with these cinematic universes. Mm-hmm. Don't Don't tease anything you don't intend to bring to life.
0: Yeah, fans are so much more educated about that kind of stuff now. As far as like who has rights to what, and I can't imagine going back to 2004 and even knowing who has the rights to the X Men versus Spider Man or whatever. But uh, yeah, it was not to jump off, not to go completely off the rail here. But Sony, just let let Disney make these movies. Just whatever you do, <laughs> just let let me, let them make the movies. Like, let's <laughs> let them have it. Do do what they do. I mean, you get your cut too. I'm not. Not, it's not saying give away money, but come on. Let's I just said, let them do it. I said, it. A,
1: I said that in a recent tweet because uh, I admittedly, the majority of my followers care about my Marvel content. And I, I tweet wrestling news and they're like, shut up. Tweet some Marvel <laughs> stuff. <But laughs> I of course, that. I had to share the news of Triple H getting creative control of uh, Raw and SmackDown. And I was like, for my... Non wrestling followers, this is the equivalent of Kevin Foggy getting the Sonyverse, and everyone's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> we were saying there, and like, yeah, no, it's it's a big thing. Like the creatives behind these movies do dictate a lot of how much people are engaged with them, and at, at least in two thousand four, because there was so much less competition, if you will, just because mm-hmm. there were less movies. I think Sony just made better quality because they didn't feel like they had to catch up with everyone else around them. Nowadays, it's like, oh man, everyone's trying to be Marvel. We saw that, how that worked out for DC the past decade. Sony, mm-hmm. non-Spider-Man movies, Morbius, Venom, whatever's going on with Kraven the Hunter. It feels a little just like, you know, just stick to what you're good at and one step at a time.
0: Just get get a licensing fee and then let let them do the work. Let MCU do the work. But uh, Andy, I, I want to do a little inside baseball here that no one else will get but you and I. But uh, the <laughs> bank scene. Have you uh had, you, have you been? To, we DJ Liam, so we DJ here in LA. And uh, was that uh, that's the a venue?
2: Was that the Majestic?
0: That's the Majestic in downtown LA. <laughs> uh,
2: so <laughs> I just uh, and jo- young Joe McHale. Yeah, and a young jo-
0: another guy. By the way, you're he like, hey, there's that guy. Uh, i get compared i get told i look like joel McHale a lot um
2: more handsome i, I think, think i could see it yeah the little
0: swoosh of the hair and everything yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i get i get told that's the one i get the most is is joel McHale? Uh, i'm always like you sure i don't look like chris hemsworth though you
2: know <laughs> any hemsworth <laughs> any hemsworth liam no
0: the third hemsworth the other even, one? yeah, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, i wanted to
2: ask you guys one question too uh liam you mentioned um when spidey puts the the suit down in the alleyway is that the same alleyway as the famous upside down kiss it kind of looked like that was like the same spot i didn't know if they did that on purpose but i was kind of like hmm, i think that looks familiar
1: i i i've never actually heard whether or not it was confirmed to be the same spot but it would make a lot of sense like that's where spider-man was like born this is where spider-man dies like there's like a a bit of a parallelism there
0: So um, as we move on, uh, Peter uh, sees a doctor because he's having no luck figuring out what's wrong with him and why he's losing his powers. Then after a vision from Uncle Ben, Peter decides to get rid of Spider-Man forever. And with his powers gone, Peter starts to enjoy life without the need to be a hero and to be able to focus on his personal life, like finally seeing MJ's show He uses his poetry to try to win back MJ, but she's not having it. And meanwhile, the bugle is excited about the end of Spider-Man and Peter is learning it's harder to walk away from those that need help than he thought as he saves a baby from a burning building but doesn't save someone else who's also inside. After some cake with his neighbor... Peter sees Aunt May who isn't bothered about Peter being the reason the love of her life was taken from her prematurely. And instead <laughs> says that we all need a hero to teach us how to hold on a little longer, even if it means giving up what we love the most. Um, there's a number of things here. I want to talk about, uh, but first Andy, I want to talk to you about the bugle. They're excited about the end of Spider-Man. He, they got what they wanted and, um, I love that. Uh, I love Jay Jonah Jameson. Is what I'm. Gonna I was gonna mention.
2: say we we've gone this far and we haven't even mentioned if, him. He's amazing.
0: If this movie was around today, Andy, tell me that Jay Jonah Jameson wouldn't have a Disney series, uh, a Marvel <laughs> series on right now, just following the exploits of the
2: Bugle. Because I, like I could it's watch not that too all late. day. Is it too late? J.K. Simmons still around? That he just did that same character. Like I'd be let's, down. Yeah, completely let's, to see the Bugle. Just call him just Bugle? the Bugle. I'm, I'm in.
0: Yeah. And him getting new stories about super villains or heroes or him, him condemning the heroes and like just being I a, could have gone a menace. For way more.
2: I could have gone for way more of him. Like <laughs> I just felt like there wasn't enough, but maybe that's, that's the key to his character. You only see him every so often. So you're like, oh, okay.
0: Liam, like Stephen seen, A.
2: Smith. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> Liam, you've <laughs> seen a lot, you know, comic book movies, you know, comic book castings is, is, j jonah jameson the best casting of all time i feel like they <laughs> nailed that to perfection it, it's a tough
1: one to say out of every character and every actor pairing because you know we have our Downey juniors and iron mans we have our hugh jackmans and wolverines but it, it's hard to not put him in that conversation i feel like the only reason why he's not in that conversation at least in the the short lists that people will make is because he's very much a side character. Like, he's not mm-hmm. leading his own franchise. But when it comes to, like, seeing the animated cartoon or seeing some Spider-Man comics and imagining how J. Jonah Jameson talks, like, J.K. Simmons just nails it. Like, mm-hmm. the cigar, the flat top, the mustache, like, the way he, like, talks to his staff and everything, how he's so <laughs> quick-witted and all so that. So um, And he doesn't even realize, like, like, he's not, like, spitting, like, witty dialogue because he's trying to be clever. That's just kind of how he talks. And uh, the way like oh Peter you're fired up oh, nope you're unfired come back here I need I need your stuff <laughs> and all things like that he's uh he's definitely in that conversation and I will say as well uh, especially because the Charles Xavier we got in Doctor Strange two was a multiversal variant so it wasn't like oh Patrick Stewart is the only actor that can ever play this character we need him back it was more of a wink and a nod hey multiverse stuff Jake J uh, K Simmons in No Way Home plays a J Jonah Jameson from the MCU. That is a different iteration of J. Jonah Jameson compared to the Tobey Maguire trilogy. And that's just because he's irreplaceable. Like he's that damn good that they're going to take him, spin him, make him more of a modern, you know, crazy conspiracy theorist on the internet, you know, give uh, shave his head and all that, <laughs> retain that same like charm that makes J. Jonah Jameson so special. Like if you needed any type of stamp of approval for why he is such a timeless character and why this is like a perfect casting, That's it right there.
0: You hit the nail on the head. That was perfect. That's why you're at comic book is because (laughs) you stuff like that. I I, I I would,
2: I would wonder who's the opposite. Who's the worst one. Who's the one that's cast. And you go, i don't uh, i don't want to bury someone no, <laughs> i said i would try wonder to, i'm just wondering. just trying what to say liam had to say well i'm i'm curious and if you it's say chris hemsworth
1: it wouldn't be an actor it would be a, a character that they just can't seem to nail someone they've recast so many times um and yeah that's a hard one Spider-Man? maybe maybe someone well <laughs> Spider-Man. it's more of a passing the torch you know it's less about like we're gonna try this again and again uh, that's that's a good question to ponder i feel like it would have to be someone from like fantastic four just because they've yet to really nail that franchise yeah. even ghost, though they've, had ghost really castings, they, they, they've just missed on the plots
0: yeah yeah fantastic four is probably a good one also go uh ghost nick rider. cage's ghost rider was a little <laughs> underwhelming but i don't know how much of that was him and how much of that was just what they had for mm-hmm. that one uh I, andy you had mentioned this before so i want to go back to you with this one the neighbor brings him cake uh obviously we're like this girl likes toby Maguire or mm-hmm. likes peter parker um but nothing comes of it was there so was i supposed to pull something from this other than just he has options like it, I was, this was kind of a pointless scene
2: yeah i was wondering about her character and also elizabeth banks's character i, I forget what's her name betsy Grant.
0: oh uh, Betty yeah. yeah
2: yeah like i was kind of like oh are those supposed to be other options for because they both kind of flirt with him but nothing ever happens. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I I don't know what that was supposed to be.
0: Elizabeth Banks definitely felt like a um sometime down the line, depending on how many sequels something was going to come of it. But the neighbor, I don't think they gave her a name, did they? I don't think so. She's if if they did
1: it clearly wasn't memorable enough for any of us to to register.
0: Is yeah. she is she a character in the I don't know if she's a character in the comics that I remember or have seen either. So I don't know if it was like a Wink wink nudge nudge either. But maybe there was. I'm just missing it somewhere. But um, I thought
1: yeah. I remember reading that there were original characters for this movie, but don't don't quote me on that. I don't I don't need yeah. people to to call me up.
0: Right. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe she was, I just, I, I didn't know. I was wondering maybe if it's something somewhere that like, if you're a big fan of the comic that knows it better than I do offhand, go, the oh, landlord's no. daughter, the <laughs> landlord's daughter. Remember she'd always bring cake over. I don't know. But uh, uh, yeah, I was watching that. I was like, I wonder if there was something that was supposed to be there that got cut out at some point. But
2: did we get to the part two with um Doc Ock and um, sorry, I, I refer to him as their actor as James, Fran- James Franco and Doc Ock when they're talking and he's like looking for whatever did we already get to that um no that's near the end right let's, let's uh but that's after the cake though isn't it
0: yeah it's after the cake
2: oh did you the get end, to the, cake? the end comes out you the got cake, to the cake Andy. did <laughs> you get did you get to the cake you mentioned the cake so i'm like all right <laughs> a lot of
0: stuff happens after the cake and all right
2: well, let, we'll let, let's hear what happened after
0: the cake so uh Peter decides to try and fail to get his powers back while MJ tries to see if her captain is Spider-Man. And when he's not, she goes running back to Peter. And now Peter's like, too little, too late. And she goes for a kiss. And would you look at the rock on that finger? Why is she messing around with broke Peter? (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't matter, though. The car is flying through a window. And Otto says, I'm taking the girl until I get Spider-Man. Parker drops his glasses and clenches his fist and he grabs the suit and the two fight on buildings and on trains and they battle across the city until Otto rips out the brakes of the train and runs while Spider-Man is forced to stop the train with his mask off, firing webs all over, he eventually stops the train just in time, the effort causes him to pass out and the people on the train see Peter Parker and for the first time in the movie, Parker and Spider-Man seem like one. And while he's a superhero, he's still also just a kid. This doesn't stop Dr. Octopus from taking advantage and capturing Spider-Man. However, this was, uh, I want to go to that scene, Liam, and um, where the car goes through the window. And I, I, I make, make a little fun of of MJ for uh, bouncing back and forth on who she likes and the size of the ring on her finger. But this is to me, when I think of this movie, this is actually the scene I always think about is them in the, cafe the car coming through the wall or the window and mm. and him clenching his fist. i remember when i was in the movie theater i saw this and i go ooh, that's cool <laughs> um walk me through this scene and and kind of this moment where peter realizes he can no longer hide from being spider-man
1: yeah it's one of the most jiffable moments uh from this movie i feel like i see <laughs> this on twitter like every now and then of just the the transition of a peaceful serene uh coffee shop to all of a sudden the car coming through Otto Octavius saying, I, I need Spider-Man and I'm taking the girl. And I will say on top of this, this scene, especially after what goes down with the bank, I wonder, you know, Peter, what's what's the need in hiding your secret identity? Because all your loved ones still get kidnapped <laughs> regardless. <laughs> like you're, It's always just wrong, uh, wrong place, wrong time for Aunt May, MJ, um, Harry. Well, I know Harry Osborn gets, gets the vendetta later on, but that's about it. His, his short list of close people always just in danger.
0: Uh, and, um, Andy, with this scene, this is where, um, oh, and I guess to your point about the danger, I, I guess I will add this instead. I'm going to get one thing that bothered me was this train scene and something that bothered me about this train scene is, and throughout this movie, well, this is the, one of the takeaways I didn't like about this movie is Spider-Man is supposed to be a secret. I have a secret identity, but it felt like by the end of this movie, everyone in New York knew who Spider-Man was, uh, by the end of this movie, the people on the train, uh, spoiler, MJ figures out later. Harry figures out later. It feels like uh, Dr. Octopus should have been able to figure it out at some point. Um, it feel, I was a little bothered, Andy, that everyone seemed to figure out who Spider-Man was in this movie.
2: <laughs> well, two things. One, the part I mentioned did happen already. It's oh, it when uh, Doc Ock comes to Harry and he wants to get Liam. You probably know the exact thing, but he's like looking for something that he gives him damn. later. He goes, you find Peter Parker, then I'll get you this. And he goes, oh, OK. And he leaves. But I was kind of like, Doc Ock, you got these four tentacles. Just go get it. Kill Harry. Grab what you need. Anyway, that's that's all I wanted to say. Um, but what was, what was the other question? I, wanted, I don't I wanted like to... you
0: proving yourself right uh, on the show. But we have. Uh, yeah. So I was asking you about everyone who basically this movie, everyone oh, figures yeah. out who Spider-Man is.
2: I mean, it's just a lesson that he's got to get a better mask, right? It, this comes off very easily. How do you get a better that mask? Literally <laughs> covers every inch of his I, face. It, it keeps falling off, though. I mean, <laughs> he's on a train, and it just like was it fly off or something?
0: Uh, this scene, Andy, uh, the the cafe scene. This movie directed by Sam Raimi. This scene, and now that you see his fingerprints all over this, but I felt like this mm-hmm. scene really felt like sam raimi with like the jump like zoom jump zoom ins and like the way it was edited and put together and from this moment on it really felt like this was absolutely one of his movies
2: Mm -hmm. even when doc ock like flies out he's got that he just like flies out of there bashes into the car like yeah it's just very cool I I, I do think the action scenes, I I do agree with you guys that the special effects aren't aren't quite as good as, you know, movies today. But I do think, like, the action scenes were still fun. Like, I still found myself, like, going like, oh, well, you know, it was still, like, good, like, action scenes, like, with the train and everything like that. Like, there was still tension.
0: One of the things that uh, I loved about this little scene, and uh, just to go back to J. Jonah Jameson, is I love how he was like... (laughs) I ran Spider-Man out of town and now he's the one person that can save us. And then they're like, what's that? He took the, he's a thief. He took his <laughs> yeah. stuff back. I- I'll get you Spider-Man. I love the the flip on a dime. The quick of- turn. Of-, of J. Jonah Jameson.
2: Right? Uh, <laughs> what it- about Toby Maguire's face though? On holding the train back. I feel like I've seen that a lot in- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah he uh i love toby mcguire i don't know if it was intentional but he had some terrible facial expressions throughout <laughs> the movie that i don't know if they aged didn't age well or i don't know what the situation was but he had a ton of those just like <laughs> i tried to imagine if this was like a captain america movie like chris evans would not be making a face like that trying to stop the train
2: that's you got that's why you got to keep that mask on toby
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh um, but uh, Liam, I want to talk one more time about the, the special effects here because it did feel like the special effects were here, like, like really showing here. And one of the things I like about go- doing these movies, like in a row, as far as time goes, is you get an idea of sort of what to expect from special effects. And this was a time period, I think, looking back, that a lot of movies, because special effects were doing so much stuff, they were definitely overreaching what they were able to what they should be doing. You saw it with like the matrix uh, sequels and the star Wars prequels where they were doing things that were very cutting edge, but at the same time sort of showing that they, by showing how far they could go, they were showing how far they weren't. If that makes sense. And I felt like that showed a lot, especially in these scenes.
1: Yeah. That's honestly a perfect way to describe it is, you know, it was the shiny new toy. It was a CGI like visual effects. And then, you know, all oh, we can save so much money by doing CGI and going away from practical effects. That you know you were sacrificing a little bit of the quality uh, as well, and I will say the train sequence to me, I don't see a lot of the visual effects woes except when it comes to you know sometimes Spider-Man and Doc Ock look like video game characters the mm-hmm. way they're being animated, like they don't look like human beings. I'm like it's clear that wasn't done with strings and, and practicality. This was done on a computer screen with VFX in post production. Um, But I will say I I really appreciate the train scene because I do think it was kind of when you look at the history of comic book movies and pushing the boundaries of action scenes and doing stuff that hadn't been seen before. I think this at the time was very revolutionary and this is a scene that a lot of people point to as being like the iconic superhero action scene that has like nowadays it's been lapped time and time again in terms of the quality we're getting nowadays, like on Disney plus, like from mm-hmm. Falcon and winter soldier, we had a whole aerial sequence with Falcon in the premiere episode. And everyone's was just like, yeah, I guess it was fine. I'm like, you tell <laughs> that to people two decades ago. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean? You're getting that on your TV for $7 a month. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is um, so true. but like this, this scene, um, I do think if you didn't see it when it first came out, it might not be as impressive to you, but when you go back and revisit it and realize how far we've come and how that scene's taking place in 2004, when it honestly has better effects and some effects in 2012's Avengers movie, it kind of goes to show like how much um, Raimi and company were willing to push the boundaries. And did they push them a little bit too far in certain frames? I think yes, but overall, uh, I'm a big fan of the train sequence.
0: I yeah. like just the idea of it, too. The uh, There's something just so pure about the hero trying to stop a train filled with people from falling mm-hmm. off the edge. Very Superman. You know, you imagine the the bridge is out or whatever and someone trying to stop the train. There's just something classic about it as far as mm-hmm. what the story is there.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's, it's something that you've seen back in, like, silent film when you see, like, a train out of control, you know, what's going to happen. So um, it's definitely something you've seen before, but they made it completely different. So uh, Doc Ock
0: delivers Spider-Man and he takes the tritium, which Andy, as you say, he could have just done in the first place. But <laughs> yeah, Dr. Octopus is just misunderstood. He's not a bad guy. Uh, Harry Osborn rips off Spider-Man's masks and sees that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and is actually a little more shocked than he should have been. All things considered. Uh, the doctor goes back <laughs> to his lair and he works on his science project as Spider-Man comes in and the fight continues. The power of the sun starts sucking things into it again. And the heroes fight, and a well-timed move causes the octopus man to shock himself out of commission. But Spider-Man has to stop the thing from exploding. So he convinces the doctor to turn things off, even as the tentacles try to fight back. Eventually, we see the good win out as the doctor, as Dr. Octopus drowns the energy ball, and MJ sees Peter as Spider-Man and they admit that they love each other. And Spider-Man is like, I just can't be tied down right now. You know what I mean? (laughs) And he sends her back to the captain. (laughs) MJ hugs the captain, but she's looking at Spider-Man while Harry sharpens his knife and speaks to his old man. We end the movie with MJ leaving the captain at the altar, going back to Spider-Man. And uh, I mean, she goes back to Peter Parker, not Mm. Spider-Man. And we get played out to the sweet sounds of Dashboard (laughs) Confessional.
2: Um Jack, let me ask you a question. What was the song that got played out in the last Spider-Man in the first uh, Spider-Man?
0: In the first Oh, um it's the uh um I I hear that it. it's the I am so high. high <laughs> <to> <laughs> What's yeah, the What's Nickelback. The the Nickelback I can't think of it. oh yeah, there we go.
2: It's Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like they went from Nickelback to Dashboard Confessional. It's kind of a funny, you know, uh, you don't think of that with superhero movies.
0: Um, I want to, Andy, I want to talk to you about uh, Harry taking off the mask and just being shocked that Spider-Man is, (laughs) is uh, Peter Parker is, there's a part of me that's like, I get it, but I'm also like your friend who's never like, who is the only person that knows where Spider-Man is and what Spider-Man's doing. It's very Clark Kent that he didn't figure it out.
2: Yeah. I don't mean
0: nitpicking picking because I'm being a jerk about it, but part (laughs) of me was like, dude, how did you not know?
2: Of course. Well, I mean, even Aunt May, you know, all of a sudden she's like, Peter, like, leaves her at the bank, and then all of a sudden Spider-Man's there, you know, helping, and then, I don't know. It all, if you really think about it, yeah, these people are I think Aunt May knew.
0: I think that's why she said what she said to him about giving up what you love.
2: Mm. Mm. Well, maybe Harry knew, too, and he was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, for you not to know, it's pretty ridiculous, but I mean, that's the whole point, right? You're not supposed to know who Spider-Man is
0: uh liam this was one of those times where we get the uh we talked about how the villain is a good guy but he's controlled by the weapon uh but this time we get to see the redemption care of the character at the end of the movie saving the day essentially by taking down everything with him Uh, did do you like it when you get the redemption at the end or do you just want to see evil get thwarted well you know i
1: i I mentioned the whole frustration with the uh the weapons controlling these these villains nowadays and I I appreciate a redemption arc when it is for someone who had like purely malicious uh, uh, intents from the beginning. And then it's like, they start to see how things should be. Um, This villain in particular, because of the way they set him up at the beginning, how he was kind of a pure heart and everything. I like the idea that he kind of brought down the creation. Um, I think it would have been, I don't know how in in a world where say Spider-Man takes out Otto, like kills him. And then now he's tasked with with putting out a sun. Like I, I, don't know how that would work. He just weapon up a bunch of times, just kind of like tetherball it or something. Uh, I have I have no idea how it goes any other way if Otto doesn't get that kind of redemption. But uh, yeah, I, I never thought twice about it. I thought it made sense for his character arc in the moment.
0: I, I love. There's a scene here again because I always feel like MJ is toxic. There's literally a scene where Spider-Man's <laughs> yeah. holding up the building and he's like, "This is so heavy, we might die," and she's like. Do you love me? And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I love you." He's like, "Even though you said you didn't." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm holding up the whole building. Just get out of here." And I was thinking just weird timing, MJ. Just maybe help him. I don't know. You're I don't know. It's just a funny funny thing to be talking about there. Is he's like literally like, uh,
2: "You're not even paying attention to me anymore. I'm holding up a building."
0: <laughs> Remember when you missed my plays?
2: <laughs> it's like, oh. I was busy saving the world, sorry.
0: Um, But uh, there is a, uh, the big thing I, I make the comment about, she goes back to Spider-Man, but I mean Peter Parker, but there is that little bit of it that's part of the story. And, and Liam, I know you know that's a big part of Spider-Man and MJ is, does she really love Spider-Man or does she really love Peter Parker? And that's kind of what we end with here at the end of the movie. Um they, they paint it up like it's a happy ending but I know MJ I've seen her in two movies now she likes Spider-man she doesn't like Peter Parker
1: that's a very I, I like that perspective because uh, a lot of people often say that with like uh, other characters out there too when it comes to like who's more in control of the person is it is Bruce Wayne the the identity or is Batman the real identity and Bruce is just the alter ego and stuff like that so who is MJ actually attracted to I mean through a movie and three quarters of a movie, it seems like it's Peter, but she's only willing to fully invest and let bygones be bygones once she knows that he's kind of got this superhero celebrity status. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder if that is like what helped push her over the edge. Does, you know, does she get more perspective on, do, do his excuses make a lot more sense now that she knows? Absolutely. But are those excuses forgiven because he's been doing good things or are those excuses forgiven because, Oh, he's, he's New York's favorite Spider-Man. Like that's, uh, that's, that's a good question. And, uh, based on how the third movie goes, yeah, I, I'd say maybe it's, maybe it leans a little bit more into she's in love with Spider-Man.
2: Well, yeah. Uh, Cause doesn't she say like, go get him tiger or something at the end too. What does she yeah. say at the end? Yeah. So yeah. she's got the nerd and the bad boy, you know, she's got them both.
0: All I'll say is when she was sitting there with the captain and they're planning out their wedding, she said, let me try kissing you upside down. She did not say, talk to me about photography and science.
1: <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs>
0: She's like, can you tell me about photography? No, why? No, no reason. I'm going to go see my friend Peter. But in any case, I think that kind of wraps up the movie. That does it That does it for this round. Liam, you're going to get the last words here on it. So uh, overall thoughts Um very fun to go revisit. Very fun to see again. I think something about Peter when we compare the different Spider Men. I think that uh, Peter definitely has a like a wholesomeness to him. He's definitely a little bit more emo, I think, than some of the other uh, Spider Men. But there's, I feel like there's a, a, a wholesomeness to him that uh, gives a lasting impression for him. I don't know if this movie holds up as a superhero movie, but it uh, it definitely pushed boundaries. So it's fun to go revisit and compare to everything that came out, especially with No Way Home coming out uh, recently. Uh, Andy, uh, Liam, like I said, you get the last word. Andy, any final thoughts on the movie?
2: I mean, yeah, kind of like what you're saying too. Like, when this movie first came out, I was like, this might be the greatest movie ever. Like, and I was even like, you know, like Terminator 2. Every movie I see. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you think about sequels like Terminator 2, I thought was better than the first one. And Godfather 2, maybe is better than the first one like this. I was like, man, this might be better than the first one. And then, yeah, kind of, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I was sort of like, oh, this isn't quite as good as I remember. But I think it's just, you know, there's been so many movies, so many Spider-Man movies that have come out since that are like, whoa. You know, they just like really went all in on Spider-Man and in all the other movies. Uh, but I thought it was a good movie. And I really liked the end how they brought Green Goblin in. Um, he had a cameo, a little Willem Dafoe cameo at the end. Uh, so I thought that was cool to kind of be like, because I felt like most movies always just have like the one bad guy. So now you have like, you have Doc Ock that is still alive, and then now you have Green Goblin, and then you know the next one. How many? There's like what three villains or something. You got Sandman and uh, Venom, and is is Green Goblin in the the third one? Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, here he um, is. Yeah.
1: The the new Goblin as
0: they call
2: him. The new Goblin. Yeah. Okay. He, he
1: he has a snowboard. He's not he's not the same as the
0: uh, the other Goblin. Total okay. early 2000s by uh, <laughs> to have the
2: snowboard. I kind of want to see that. I don't even know if I've seen the third one. I probably have. And this just went. Oh,
1: I, I love the third one. The third <laughs> one is my favorite of the trilogy. I have and to watch it. It's I recognize that the story is not there compared to the other ones, but it's just it's more of a comic book brought to life. There's there's more stuff in it. And sometimes, you know, when I'm when I'm six years old in the movie theater, I need an excuse to eat my popcorn and uh, conversations in the cafe with MJ. That's not going to do
0: it. Well said, especially because I was just thinking as we're talking about this, this movie didn't really have any action until the very end. Uh, It was all just kind of character development. I thought that too, yeah. In Spider-Man 3's defense, I'll say this. I think it suffered from fans getting a bad case of they should have instead of just enjoying the movie mm. um yeah, they, they started were fan two, fiction anyways. writing it instead of just enjoying what they were given and then when they didn't get what they fan fictioned they got crabby about it mm. but uh but liam you get the last word like i said any final thoughts on spider-man 2 and revisiting it
1: well i will say also to, to andy's point the nice little tease like it's before the age of post-credit scenes before they like really got taken off and Was in every Marvel movie, and very recently, the Buzz Lightyear movie did like four post credit scenes. Um, (laughs) there there was no post credit scene in this movie, but the ending with Harry might as well have been because it's him discovering the goblin cabinet, (laughs) uh, him understanding what he has to do for the next movie. And I remember the first time I watched this movie being like scared, like, oh man, like Harry is gonna become a bad dude, and like like, the whole Avenge Me stuff is like a little ridiculous with the mirror, (laughs) but. Compared to the previous Green Goblin, who was like just a guy who was dealing with the Goblin disease and he wasn't purely evil. We have Harry with motivations and all this Goblin technology and nothing controlling him. Like what a nice change of pace for a villain. And then they did kind of botch the execution in the third movie with that storyline because they were juggling too many things at once. But as a standalone moment in this movie... It's like a great teaser trailer for what's to come. So I really do appreciate that. As a whole, um, I do think this movie is incredibly fun, but I also think it's incredibly dated. Uh, I think a lot of people watch it with kind of nostalgia blinders, and people put it in people put this movie in conversation. At least in my circles, we people talk about the first Avengers movie, the Dark Knight, Richard Donner's Superman, Spider Man Two, as mm-hmm. like a way to kind of give like an all time comic book movie list variety. I feel. I think there are better Spider-Man movies than this. Um, Not to say that this one's bad, but I think people put it on a pedestal it doesn't deserve to be on. Like being in a conversation with the Dark Knight, you got to earn those stripes. And I don't know if this movie's there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, even if the CGI isn't as perfect and polished as it could be in a modern age, even if some of the dialogue is corny, the heart, the story, uh, just kind of the overall vibe of this movie, it leaves you with a smile on your face. And there's a reason why people have nostalgia with this movie. Um, So, yeah, overall, I think it's a good time. It's not going to make a top 10 list for me, um, but it's very important uh, for the history of comic book movies. That'll be my big superlative, a a very important piece
0: on this comic book movie timeline. I love it. Great way to wrap it up. I will say it goes on my top 10 list, but only in public. I think in the shadows, I in my secret list that's the real list it doesn't actually go on the top 10 list but in oh, I,
1: list... I lost like like 20 twitter followers when i said spider-man 3 was my favorite of the trilogy like those, those <laughs> spider-man fans are no joke
0: <laughs> yeah and twitter How yeah spider-man you. 2 one of the best but in private where i have my real list <laughs> fantastic uh, four is your number one four. <laughs> Two Rise the silver <laughs> surfer. Um, so Liam, I like to play a little game with Andy here to wrap things up. It's a very simple one. It's the ba- it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon game. I want to see if Andy Rossi can connect one of the actors from this movie to Kevin Bacon in six moves. Andy, I'm kind of curious to see how this one goes.
2: Yeah, this is a good one. you like this one. So uh, Kirsten Dunst, mm-hmm. your favorite MJ, was mm-hmm. in an Interview with a Vampire with yes. Brad Pitt. Oh. Who is in sleepers with Kevin Bacon?
0: Liam, every movie we do <laughs> leads to sleepers with Kevin Bacon. It always goes to sleep. Whether it's because Robert De Niro's in that movie and Matt Brad in that movie, Dustin Hoffman. Almost every time we do this, Andy takes the sleepers route.
2: It's the it's a good path. <laughs> how how many degrees was that? Um, two, three, three. Dunst, Pitt,
1: Bacon. Oh, I, that that would beat me. I was going to go pure comic book movie route and go Ooh. Alfred Molina, uh, Otto Octavius in this movie, also Otto Octavius in No Way Home, Benedict Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, Patrick Stewart, Charles Xavier, Patrick Stewart, Charles Xavier, also James McAvoy, Charles Xavier, and Days of Future Cow, <laughs> uh Kevin Bacon, Sebastian Shaw in X-Men Plus. Yes. The,
0: the, the that fact was- that you know all the character names, I think. You know what's funny? You say that because that was my first thought, though. Was uh, Kevin Bacon's in first class? So that's how you're going to get there, right? But no, not not Andy. He sees the <laughs> he sees the easy way. He, he sees the shortcut. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that does it for us. Uh, our next movie we're going to 2005. We're going to talk about 40 year old Virgin, and then we're going to go to 2006 to discuss Pursuit of Happiness, and then 2007, one of my all time favorite comedies, Hot Rod. Is
2: oh, what we're nice. Talking
0: about that'll be a lot of fun but that does it for us you can find me at real jack farmer across all social media andy where can the world find you and what you're working on
2: you can find me at just andy rossi and liam where can
0: the world uh, catch up with all the cool stuff you're working on right now
1: Uh, at Liam T. Crowley on all socials, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And uh, yeah, follow comicbook.com on socials as well at Just Comic Book. Uh, I do TikTok content for them, interviews on the YouTube page
0: uh, and a bunch of articles as well on uh, comicbook.com. Very cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. That does it for us this time and we will see all of you next year.